We get just a few short months of summer weekends in Canada, so we really need to embrace every single one of them. That goes for days when the sky is gray or the wind off the lake is chilly, or when there's a fog of mosquitoes descending on you and your family. That's why, before my family and I head outside, we need a reliable insect repellent. That's where the new Off Family Care DEET Free comes in. It works for up to five hours against mosquitoes, isn't greasy or oily like some of the other repellents, and it is safe for the whole family six months and up. Try it, and you'll have one more great reason to embrace every summer weekend. Hi, I'm Michelle Kelly, Editor-in-Chief of Cottage Life magazine. In this episode, some isolation advice from our favorite Arctic adventurer and star of Life Below Zero, Sue Aikens. The sound of otters in the wild, and an essay about taming that most untamable wildlife. Yes, the mosquito. This is the Cottage Life Podcast, where every day is the weekend. For the last 18 years, Sue Aikens has spent most of her time in the high Arctic. There, she lives in almost complete isolation while running the Kavik River Camp, an abandoned oil camp she single-handedly turned into what she describes as a twisted bed and breakfast. The camp is 800 kilometers from the nearest town and 130 kilometers from any road. Barring the occasional bush plane that brings visitors to her camp, Sue can go without seeing another human for 10 months of the year. For the last seven years, Sue's life at the camp was covered on the hit TV series Life Below Zero, which airs in Canada on the Cottage Life television network. The success of that show has led to a Canadian spin-off, Life Below Zero Canada, which began airing on Cottage Life this past spring. We can have 50 below here. Without a proper shelter, we could die. I want to be a badass woman who can do whatever she wants, whenever she wants. Nature don't give a if you live or die. Like the original series, it follows several hardy souls who live in extreme isolation in northern Canada. We wanted to catch up with Sue to see how life is going way up north these days and to find out if she has any advice for the cast of Life Below Zero Canada. And, well, any advice for the rest of us who could maybe use some isolation expertise these days. Sue, I'm going to tell you, you it's so good to talk to you. I, had, I heard your voice in the other room and it made me remember what a fun time we had in Edmonton last year. <laughs> it was. It really was. So let me ask you, um, thinking about where you are right now, if you were, I don't know if you can see out a window or where exactly you are on your property, but what, if you were to look out the window, what would you see? Um, right now, I have uh, ice fog down to the ground, 20 mile an hour winds, maybe 22 out of the south, blowing snow. Um, had a, I've had a bear, a real pesky bear, grizzly, that woke up, and, and he's been circling around the camp, making himself a nuisance. Um, I have, I actually have uh, some falcons and hawks that are doing their hunting right now. Um, the winds get any stronger, they'll hunker down. Um, that's pretty much what I've got right now. The first thing when I discovered you, the first thing I thought is, you know, why why would someone go there? And why would someone choose this life? And not only have you chosen this life, you've lived it for 18 years. So tell me, like, what brought you there in the first place to Kavik? My personality... You know, I even when I was super tiny, uh, my happiest place is alone, is in my own head, 
um, alone. Um, that's just where I'm, I'm at my best. Um, I have been married. I have children. I have grandchildren. Right. Um, when you meet me, people are, are quite surprised um, that I'm, I'm gregarious. I'm a lot of fun to be around, you know, and I love people. You absolutely are. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to live right with a lot of people. Um, I like to know when I'm arriving and I really like to know when I get to leave, <laughs> but I enjoy people while I have that interaction. I love to travel the planet. It's an interesting place in my God. You know, history is an amazing thing. I like to go experience it live, right. but I love to know when I'm leaving. You're kind of a classic introvert, I think. <laughs> I, I, you know, I must have, I tell people I have like 14 personalities. I've met nine of them. <laughs> I still have plenty of time for making new friends. So you're the kind of person who likes to be alone. So is that the thing you love most about living in Kavik? Or is, you know, what is it that you love there? Um, well, I had, I used to have 32 giant Alaskan Malamutes and uh, um, a trap line, 400 mile trap line. And that's how I was living. I stopped trapping ages ago, um, I decided, you know, foxes are friends, not fur coats, probably 30 some years ago. But um, I still like the lifestyle of going out and being, you know, Sue, one with nature. <laughs> um, but my friend that owned the buildings up here, um, Mike, and he got a hold of me. It's We call it muckluck messaging. You tell somebody, they tell somebody. Sooner or later, somebody puts a message on this post. So I called him and he said, yeah, I got this camp. Uh, up in Cavite. So uh, I talked to him and, and he said, okay, well, you can, you can live up there, do what you want. And uh, I got up here and, uh, and that's how it all started. When I first got up here, it had been taken care of by previous people so poorly. The garbage had not been taken. You can't bury the garbage. You can't. It's a protected ecosystem. And it had just been you're supposed to burn it to its lowest ash and then send that ash to town in airplanes. Um, and it had just been allowed to pile up. And then the people that were watching it, uh, well, they, 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 they just did a very poor job. And so there were bears crawling all over the place. So did you have a moment there when you first arrived where you thought, maybe, I mean, you are a tough woman. You're a tough woman. But did you have a moment when you thought, hmm, maybe I won't stay here? Um, yeah, I, I, my first reaction was I cried. I, uh, I just thought, nah, this is way more than I, I wanted to do. The camp is, could be a super cute little place. It's not through no fault of its own. And it engaged that side of me that said, this is a challenge. You love a challenge. Get up off your booty. What are you just going to give up? You don't, you know, somebody else will do it. And then, it, you know, it was like, oh no, they're not. You know, once I, once I see the challenge of it, then, then I'm engaged. But my first reaction, yeah, was I cried and went, you have got to be kidding me. What have I done? Sure. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine who wouldn't think that. Now you were, you were talking about the bears and I know that, you know, from grizzly bears to wolverines, you have to face the real dangers of living so close to major predators, like on a daily basis. But you also, it's such an interesting relationship you have with the wildlife because in, in, in a sense, they're your companions. You, you know, you have the skulk of foxes that you've befriended and that they visit you and, and they're like a family in a sense to you. I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you balance that, knowing that the 
bears are there and can end your life at any moment. And yet they're also, you know, you have deep, deep respect for them and how you manage to live in harmony with them, which you mostly do, I think. Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, people ask me and, and even my children and grandchildren, um, you've got to be brutally honest with yourself and with everything around you. If you're going to do this kind of a lifestyle or wherever you are, be, be brutally honest about everything. But that's also, um, yeah, there's, there's grizzly bears, there's polar bears that can come down in through here. There's no black bear here, but, um, there's all kinds of animals learn about them and, and be brutally honest about what is the potential danger? Can you handle the potential danger? Um, I was attacked by a grizzly out here and, uh, I laid here 10 days before somebody found me, got flown out and have hip surgery, some spinal work. Um, I sewed my own arm and head. Um, that's still something that emotionally I, I, you know, like now I talk about it, there's a little bit of emotion going on. Sure. I mean, what are you thinking when you're lying there for 10 days recovering from a bear attack in the middle of nowhere? I tell people the middle is about 250 miles south. I'm at the top of nowhere. <laughs> and that's something I do for myself. I find myself hilarious, but that's part of how I survive is um, finding the humor in everything, finding the science of everything. Don't be so proud of every situation that you can't be wrong about how you handled it. Learn from everything. Um, this particular incident that happened, it was a juvenile male. So he decided uh, he was going to subjugate and take over the territory. The bears view me as an alpha. I've got dens you don't have to dig. They can smell from 10 miles away. So they can, no matter how clean I am, they can still smell food. Even when I burn the garbage and send it out, there's a lingering odor they can they can recognize. Um, so this bear, you know, he decided that's some good territory. So he let it be known. He, he would take a caribou and he'd bury it on my helicopter pad and, you know, do his King Kong rawr, scream and yell at me and potty all over it. And it's a very, the more ammonia the scent, the more alpha. I did the things that I did uh, to show him, hey, no, you're not going to win. I am. This is my ground. Not giving it up. Eventually, uh, the ground is freezing up. The bears have to go to den at a certain point. And I knew where he was hanging out. I, I wanted to get one more dose of water out of the river. It was freezing up. I looked for him, looked for him, didn't see him. Takes two hands to get the pump out and break through the river. Uh, set my rifle down, did not see that he had hidden in a cut part of the cut bank. And uh, so when I set it down, the, everything down, he snatched me up, pulled me into the tundra. I call it an alpha push. He extends his claws. He rolls you around, puts his jaws around you. Uh, if you fight back, it's if you've ever seen a dog put its jaws on something's throat and they're laying on their backs going, you got it. No problem. If they fight back, it's on. If they 
you're not a piece of jello because that's the same. They'll just take you out because you're a moron. It's Darwinism. Um, so it's, it's a unique thing. I just call it an alpha push. Uh, he came back several times. Um, my, he, he, there's still the teeth marks in my head. Uh, you can feel where the teeth went through into the, uh, the, the skull, um, tore the shoulder up pretty good. Uh, bluff charged a bunch more times, tore the hips out of the sockets. And then he went down into the river. Finally, I, you know, he had a spot that I, over the time I knew he'd go to. I did not remember that I had a rifle down by the river. Um, plus it was down this pretty sharp hill to get to it. I knew I needed to call for help. I got myself up, got myself to the dining hall, um, tried to call for help. You have to clean up. Bears have an enzyme that uh, you got to get out. Cleaned uh, the head, cleaned the arms, sewed them up as best I could. Um, put the gun belts around my hips, got them in as best I could, tightened them up. I knew I wouldn't be walking long. And I went out, found the bear, shot him. On the way back, my hips gave out, drug myself into the dining hall, grabbed any water and snacks that I could, and then I couldn't move. And uh, I mean, Sue, this is, I think you have to think about if you're a person who lives in downtown Toronto, for example, hearing this story <laughs> is, it's hard to believe that any human can handle that kind of attack and also just have the wherewithal to handle it in the way that you did. It's incredibly inspiring. You know, who knows why some of us are put together uniquely. Um, you know, I, I try not to think about it all the time. Um, a lot of people, obviously, it's a story that everybody wants to hear. Um, but if we fast forward, I laid here 10 days. Another bear had come up uh, and was chewing. I could hear it chewing on the bones. I could not, I could not move any longer. Any bodily functions that needed to happen just happened, so I'm sure... With their their noses, they could tell that I was here. Um, I could hear planes that were going over. It, yeah, it's foggy. It's bad weather. They couldn't land. They were trying to talk to me. I couldn't get to the radio. Finally, the pilot figured out the next sunny day uh, that there was something wrong. So he landed and helped me. I got to medical care. Fast forward to me coming back. Um, I didn't know how I would react to the, it's not if it happens again, it's when. And uh, I ended up, uh, I did okay. But a real psychological, a real psychological hurdle to get over there, I would think. Um, afterwards, it was emotional for me. And it's emotional now. You can't see me, but I'm like, be in this mess. No, oh, I can hear it in your voice. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I mean, I could go on and on here with you listening to these stories. I know you have so many, but I'm, I'm super curious to ask you next about the show. Uh, you know, you know the ropes for sure about what it is to film a TV show and what it is to have people, you know, you're you're someone who's living in isolation and you have this crew come and hang out with you. I'm curious now, you know, we've started this own our own version here in Canada, Life Below Zero Canada, which just started airing uh, on Cottage Life Television. It's been a 
great hit for us. And I'm sort of curious to know, you being the true expert, uh, what advice you would give to any of the cast of the Canadian version um, about what it is to sort of go from this strange thing where you're you're in the middle of isolation and then you're at the Emmy Awards. You know, it's really <laughs> one extreme to the other. And if you have any advice for our cast. I am brutally honest with who I am, what I am, what I like, what I dislike. Be brutally honest about, hey, I am not comfortable with you up in my grill right now. Um, mm-hmm. You guys have some of the most beautiful, untouched, amazing country invite them in but let them know what your boundaries are yeah and then be willing to let them push them just a little because you may find some really cool new talents together right it's a learning process i suppose for you as well as for the crew and for the cast for sure yeah it's a it's it it can be a really cool bunch of years of discovery some of it is whoa Yeah, this is a boundary I didn't know I had. So let me ask you this. I would be a a real miss if I didn't ask you about isolation right now, when it seems to be the word of 2020, isolation. And it strikes me as a funny time to be talking to you because you, of course, choose that life. You choose that isolation life. So I, I would like to know what you would say to the people in the city who are are just are struggling with the fact that they're on their own. I mean, forgive yourself for your reactions. It's okay that you're reacting differently. It's okay that you're angry about something. It's okay that you're sad, but don't dwell on them. You know, none of us are in Sing Sing in extreme isolation. You can go outside. Right. You can get on your Harley Davidson and and let her rip. I, I think the thing that people are most upset about is that they aren't, able to know the end there they they and it's not their choice you know whereas you are making the choice yeah it's the unknown and it's being told you can't sure yes and um and there's so much misinformation yeah it's like having very unique puzzle pieces but it's going to take all these unique puzzle pieces to be put together to get the entire picture we're all in it together we've all got to remember that and it will stop. It will end. And we will be able to have a different picture going forward. But we will go forward. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for spending time chatting with me and for sharing all of your wisdom. As usual, uh, you're super inspiring. And it's just a delight to catch up with you. So thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you. Because I know I talk uh, unendingly. I am using my little cottage life mugs that I got before right now. So thank you. Oh, I love that you've got the cottage life mugs all the way up there in Kavik. That's fantastic. Yes. (laughs) And um, I can't wait till I can come see you. And I hope everybody stays safe and healthy and has a good year. Life Below Zero Canada is airing on the Cottage Life channel now. For more details and to find out airing times in your area, Go to cottagelife.com. Sorry.
So when I think about otters, I think of sitting on my deck at the cottage in the evenings and watching them go along in front of us in the water, quietly around the bend into the back bay. They're very silent and stealthy. But in fact, they actually can and do make quite a racket. Leanne Bobechko is here to demystify this sound and other sounds we hear when we're at the cottage. She's a longtime Cottage Life editor and our resident nature enthusiast. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Michelle. I was also surprised to learn about all the different sounds that otters make, as many as 12 distinct ones, according to a research paper I found. Since we don't have time to go through all the sounds, I wanted to play you five sounds compiled by Sarah Walkley of Wild Otter Acoustics. It's a nonprofit group studying vocalizations and behaviors of North American river otters. Wow, there really is a group for everything, isn't there? I know. So here, let's have another listen. Wow, that's quite a range, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. What we just heard included the blow, the whine, the chirp, the chatter chirp, and the squeak. But the one I wanted to focus on today, and the sound that I've heard when I'm out and about in cottage country, is the one called the blow. Here it is again. Oh, cool. Okay, so what does that sound mean? Well, I've heard otters make this sound when I was out paddling on a river. When you hear it, you might see a little round head and maybe one or two others poke out of the water. They're popping up to try to get a good look at the intruder. That's you and your canoe. According to Franco Mariotti, a retired staff scientist from Science North in Sudbury, this funny thing they do is known as periscoping, and they'll often blow when they do it. Interesting. I know that sometimes animals make sounds to let us know that we're too close or that we're invading their space, but I also know that even though otters seem cute and cuddly, they are, in fact, carnivores from the weasel family, correct? And they have very sharp teeth. Should we be concerned when we see otters periscoping near us? Are we making them mad? Are they going to attack us? One research paper that looked at otters in captivity said the blow was mainly used when otters were moderately agitated by a human approaching the den or to ward off a potential threat. But otters are really no threat to humans. Franco says that when you see otters pop their heads out of the water like this, it's almost like they're torn between curiosity and wariness. Like they want to know what you are and what you're doing, so they'll investigate, but they're going to be cautious about it. They might stay up for a little bit and watch you, or they'll go down and then resurface a few more times. Okay, so not going to attack me. Yeah, likely not. Good news. (laughs) Another thing I found interesting is that otters can really project sound when necessary. Their screams can be heard for a kilometer or more if they're under duress. Really quite something. This is indeed quite contrary to the impression they give me from my cottage deck when they go by so stealthily. I can't ever recall hearing them scream, that's for sure. No, I haven't either. Most of the time, they are quiet, and that's probably why they're so hard to spot. Franco says looking for an otter in the open lake is like looking for a needle in a haystack. Okay, so any tips on spotting these elusive creatures? Franco said you'll have better luck near beaver dams and in streams where they let into the lake. Otters often occupy old beaver lodges. So if you see a lodge with no fresh mud and no food pile, there's a good chance it's occupied by otters. Ah, so this all makes sense because the reason I always used to see otters, which are fairly elusive, is because there was, in fact, an unoccupied beaver dam at the back of that bay around the bend. So that's probably why I got so lucky. Yeah, that makes sense. Totally. So, yeah, if you're out and about, just paddle up and sit quietly. If you see a spot that looks like it's you know, got potential, you're not going to sneak up on them. They probably will have seen you first. You might have to stick around for a little while, but it's worth it. 
spotting otters is definitely a neat experience. Yeah, I guess it's like so many things in nature. Good things come to those who wait, right? Totally. Thank you, Leanne. I look forward to decoding more nature sounds with you on future episodes of the podcast. Thanks, Michelle. Some cottage memories I want to keep close forever. The proud look on my dad's face the first time I started the outboard without his help. Or the day my kids were finally brave enough to jump off the end of the dock by themselves. But if I could forget one thing about the cottage, it would be the swarms of mosquitoes. And that's tough to do when you head back to the city covered in bumpy, itchy reminders of every second you spent in shorts. So, to make sure my family and I remember the good stuff, we never forget to apply a good bug repellent, like off, family care, smooth and dry. It repels mosquitoes for up to five hours, and it goes on as smooth powder instead of an oily, greasy film. So now I can remember the good stuff and forget the mosquitoes. Over the 30-plus year history of Cottage Life magazine, we've had some of Canada's best writers reflect on life at the cottage. This week's essay was written by longtime columnist David Zimmer, himself a previous editor of Cottage Life. It was originally published in the June 2006 issue. This Mortal Coil is read by Pedro Mendez. When people talk about scents they associate with the cottage, there is frequent mention of that musty smell, mothballs, cedar, or sizzling bacon. By contrast, our cottage's signature perfume was the protective incense of smoldering mosquito coils. For no particular reason, the PIC brand, it stands for pyrethrum insecticide coil, was our mossy killer of choice, and my dad always kept a whopping supply. This was a necessity. Our cottage backs onto a series of beaver swamps roughly the size of PEI, and in the sweaty doldrums of summer, the blood-sucking hordes would descend upon our encampment in numbers unseen since the digging of the Panama Canal. The only defense was pick. As a child, I loved pick. I loved the way you had to carefully separate the nested pairs from the package. I loved the nifty metal holder that had to be bent into shape. I loved the perfect geometry of a new coil and the way it looked just like the kitchen stove burner. Like most kids, I also hated mosquitoes, so it was a marriage made in heaven. Apparently, these coils are never supposed to be burned indoors. It says so right on the package. But we routinely ignored this advice. Playing hearts at the kitchen table we would be enveloped in the acrid smudge of multiple pick coils. One on the wood stove, one on the counter, one by the toaster, and a couple on the table right by the pop and cheesies, safely resting on chipped metal ashtrays. When enough smoke built up, the hovering mosquitoes would start to vibrate with imminent nervous system collapse, then wheel and plummet to the table, like downed fighters in the Battle of Britain. To be doubly sure they were dead, Greasy, orange, cheesy fingers would seek out and squash every last one. It was barbaric, and I loved it. While I try not to actively inhale the smoke anymore, I still get a childish glee out of fumigating a mosquito-filled room with pick. Yes, it's a bit sadistic, but they are mosquitoes after all. My new routine is to close the doors and windows, then let the coils do their deadliest while I sit in another room. After an hour or so, I'll air things out and review the pick's handiwork. A blanket of mosquitoes, dead to the last female. 
and the smell of victory. That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Cottage Life Podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have new episodes every Thursday throughout the summer, just in time for your drive up to the cottage. We'd love to hear from you. Post a review or email us with questions or comments at edit at cottagelife.com. And head to cottagelife.com to find out more about our magazine, our television shows, and our live events. This podcast is produced by Catherine Jun and me. I'm Michelle Kelly. I'll see you on the dock.